Welcome, one and all, to the Afterthoughts Podcast. Let's do a roll call. Dialing in with a West Coast ping, we've got our main family man, the anime lover, Ryan King. Hey, how's it going? Other podcasts give you that, (laughs) and we give you a big Richard. I mean, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. To his left, in your mind, is the man who's always right. You can catch him at the Art House Theater almost any given night. His last name is one letter off from Tricky Dick Nixon. It's our resident film festival buff, Michael Dixon. Uh, Hey, what's up, John? I just want to let you know they replaced the chain on your nunchucks and oiled the bearings. They're sitting on your desk next to the dry cleaning. Solid. Really solid. Yes, and I am John Garcia, your podcast poet and episode host, bringing you a love letter to black exploitation that grossed 300k in theaters at most. So prepare yourselves to travel back in time, way, way back to the 1970s of 2009. We're talking about a mean mother who knows how to fight. So settle in for a discussion on black dynamite. Are you All done right. now? I'm done. I'm absolutely yeah. done. <laughs> yep, I am 100% through with Come that. Come out of your trance. Cannot do a bullhorn for the entirety of an episode. <laughs> I don't know how Rudy Raymore did it for like four to five movies. Um, cocaine. <laughs> it's true. Probably a lot of cocaine. Uh, yes, and as you heard in the intro, um, we are talking about Black Dynamite. Suckers gather round. There's a brand new movie coming to town. So get on up and check the scene of the smoothest, baddest mother to ever hit the big screen. Main man, Black Dynamite. He's super cool and he no kung fu. Drives a $5,000 car and wears a $100 suit. You're so righteous. This is also true. And when it comes to the ladies, he's out of sight. Uh, let me guess. You one of these brothers think you can get by on a wink and a smile, huh? What about the smile? I am smiling. Black Dynamite. Black Dynamite is a 2009 black exploitation send up uh, by Michael J. White, uh, directed and written by, along with a, a slew of his other kind of friends uh, in it. And it is just this big love letter to the 1970s genre um, that saved Hollywood uh, from bankruptcy. And I discovered it in. I think like it was first released to like Netflix after it bombed in theaters. Had no idea what I was getting into. I don't even know why I decided to watch it. It was just there and like the poster is pretty striking in a way that looks like, okay, this might be either really good or just like a really dumb self-aware movie that is annoying. Uh, And thankfully it was, it was the former uh, when I watched it, I found it really funny, really gripping. I knew none of the references in it. I knew nothing about the genre, (laughs) but a lot of the comedy and the filmmaking in it just has like this, spectacular pacing to it that keeps it engaging and stupid and fun and it captures a lot of the low budget like loving qualities of black exploitation cinema um and i was just super thrilled by it and after that i was like oh man more people got to see this and i like started showing it to friends and stuff um and then when the pandemic hit I joined the movie club that uh, Dixon you were a part of Mm -hmm. and it was one of the movies that I brought I think it was like the first movie I brought might have been and it was, it's, that's definitely not a movie that you're supposed to just bring to a crowd of people you don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. And, uh, so, some people liked it. Uh, we had a friend who was like, you know, John, I really enjoyed it, but I don't think that like 
1970s movies are for me. And I was like, it was made in 2009, dude. His just mind was blown. <laughs> um, but yeah, it has a, a fantastic score to accommodate it, a score that is very self-aware of what it's in and at the same time manages to just be like, a banger album <laughs> like it's random tracks that you could listen to even though they have full context in the movie i'm like okay this is a good groove to go with um the actors all managed to kind of walk that fine line for me of they know what they're in but they also commit to being kind of like this low budget channeling of of uh the scrappy black exploitation productions in the 70s um and i'm kind of just in awe of replicating the badness of black exploitation cinema and like the lower budget entries um, where you think about a movie like disaster artist when they like shoehorn at the very end, them recreating just scenes of the room instead of channeling the energy of the room into yeah. something. Yeah. This feels like its own thing while also managing to be a full homage. So I loved it. It's um, one of my favorites uh, from a, from a comedy perspective. I think that it is to black exploitation cinema, not all of the black exploitation movies, but just the genre kind of what like walk hard is to biopics and what they came together is to rom-coms. But I also don't think that it puts a nail in the coffin of like wanting to go back to other black exploitation movies. And like, like I don't want to go watch you've got mail after I see they came together. I don't want to watch musical biopics after I watch walk hard. Um, but I do want to watch Rudy Ray more. I do want to watch uh, Shaft, like all of those movies yeah. I feel are awesome. Uh, so that's kind of my two cents on it. Uh, I'll kick it over to uh, Ryan. Ryan, have you seen this before? I can't even remember. Yeah, I had seen it before. I, I became aware of it when the TV show cartoon came out um, and went back and watched the movie. I watched like a few episodes of the cartoon um, and it's got somewhat the same vibe but you know that it, it's a little bit different um and this yeah it's not it, it's not quite like walk hard because i don't feel like it necessarily takes something to the extreme to like kill it or point out how ridiculous it is mm-hmm. as much as this just like is a black exploitation movie yeah <laughs> except yeah. they know exactly how to make the stupid parts of a black exploitation movie which I would even say I feel like the later, and maybe this is true of kind of all of the exploitation genres, like they kind of just know like what they are and kind of just give into it. Yeah. And so like later black exploitation and the same thing, like later like Kung Fu karate movies, like they just, they're like, yeah, we know this is exploitive and stupid um, and we're just going to have fun with it and you're coming for it being fun, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I will say that there are those brilliant moments of uh, fourth wall break kind of stuff that I think is what really, like to me, was the absolute most hilarious stuff in this, Um, as well as the effort they put into, especially as cheap as the budget is, trying to keep it time correct, like, and the film look and the sound and, right, like, all of that stuff, it is just the same as the black exploitation cinema, um, and then just gives it that right look and feel. And then it it's just funny. Like I think that's where it just it, it's funny. It's you know, it, I I think one thing we talked about before is having a good good quote a plot to follow um, through something, and this does have a relatively clear through line. Um, I was getting some weird similarities to the client clone Tyrone. 
but that also was a send up to black exploitation. Yeah. Um, but it was it kind of cracked me up remembering it being like, oh yeah, there's kind of a somewhat similar subplot <laughs> here. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think on another watch, like I, I enjoyed it. Um, again, like it's funny and being able this time to just look a little bit more for like the, the things that kind of like break or character breaks or, or what have you. Um, did not watch it with Darla, but I suspect she would have like laughed a bit at the beginning and then maybe 15 minutes in been like, okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I get what's going on. I get it. But like, why do we keep going with this? Um, so yeah, but I, I mean, like, it's fun. It's enjoyable. I think this is a like a good black exploitation to get into because um, it just fully embraces like what it is and everything, um, and it's funny enough to keep you going. Where I think some of the other ones like they're trying to rely on their action that's not that great, or yeah. they're trying to be funny but it's not really funny consistently. Where this is, so yeah, definitely, um, Dixon. Yeah, this movie is a lot of fun. Um, I saw it for the first time, uh, you know, a few years ago when John introduced it to me and thought it was was pretty funny and uh, liked it a little bit more on this watch, I think, because I have seen some, like I've seen Shaft since then, and so I like understand a few more of the references. I haven't seen a ton of black exploitation, but I've seen a, a little bit to kind of understand what they're going for. Um, I just love the vibe of this movie, the... The atmosphere is so, you know, so 70s and, you know, the the costumes are insane. The music is, you know, this funky sound that is just really great throughout the, the movie. Um, all the cast is really good and seems to be having a ball and just really enjoying what they're doing. Um, you know, there's I love the character names in this. There's there's Black Dynamite, you know, Cream Corn, Tasty Freeze, Mo Bitches. <laughs> like there's a lot of pimps in the movie and, and thus, you know, some some funny names. But um, yeah, I mean, I think this is yeah, like what you mentioned Walk Hard. Walk Hard is like trying to point out how fucking stupid music oh, yeah. biopics are and how they're actually terrible movies. And and this is clearly saying like, yeah, you know, these uh you know 70s cheap black exploitation movies had some production issues and things that didn't necessarily work but uh they they had some charm to them and you know it's like clearly a send-up of that and and a satire to some degree but it's not like walk hard is almost mean-spirited and i like that movie a lot but it's like and i probably because i agree with it the music biopics are terrible but um yeah i mean i think black dynamite is definitely different in what it's trying to do and um, I think it works really well because of that. Like, yes, they are kind of making fun of old seventies black exploitation movies, but they're also just trying to make a good black exploitation movie at the same time. And you know, like the plot is actually interesting, and the mystery that they solve is funny. And there's just a lot of great humor in the movie um, in both how they're spoofing black exploitation, but also in just naturally kind of in the movie itself. So um, yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. You don't have to have experience with black exploitation to like this movie. I think it's helpful to understand some of the winks and nods throughout the movie, but you don't need that to watch this and, and have a good time with it. Um, I also think it's interesting, Ryan, you talked about uh, They Clone Tyrone. I thought the same thing as far as trying to make a movie look old and They Clone Tyrone is like shot digitally and then like this awful it fake grain put over yeah. it to just, it just looked bad. Um, you know, good movie, but I just didn't like that aesthetic. And this is like, oh no, we're going to shoot on 16 millimeter and 
they use some sort of film called color reversal. I'm not sure exactly what that means or does, but it basically kind of flattens the the picture and crushes the blacks and makes everything a little bit darker. And it almost looks like it's been aged, right? Like it has been um, not taken care of over the years. And now you're like seeing it on TV. So um, I, th- I thought it was really cool the way they did that and were able to replicate, you know, kind of the feel of, of a movie from that time. So, yeah. Um, and <clears throat> to, to Ryan's point too, like, it is one of those well, like walk hard. They came together. Both of those movies are like pretty mean spirited and what they're lampooning. Yeah, uh, they're, they're actively trying to criticize their, their art, the medium that they're based on um, or the genre they're based on. Uh, this one is like from that place of love. I've listened to the commentary for it, like the behind the scenes stuff. This is a movie that I was really fascinated to learn. You know, there are deleted scenes and I was like, what are those? Um, and uh, everything that I've seen from it is like, they poured so much love into it that they almost ruined it at times. <laughs> like watching the deleted scenes, they literally are just the scenes from like a black exploitation movie where <clears throat> the pacing is off. The character dialogue is drawn out for like the bad guys. The shots are like really flat and just kept at a static angle from across the room. Uh, it, it all kind of conjures the same vibes I've gotten now that I've gone back through and watched a lot of black exploitation cinema. And then at the same time, like, there's so much else about the actual final cut of it where they realize going through it, like, no, that would actually drag us into, that would be like a, a one-to-one parody, uh, black exploitation seventies movie. We want to do something that's a little more like we're aware we'll cut the pacing. We'll do these things. It'll be fine. Um, one of the things that I love about this movie is that, uh, Michael J. White, who like directed it, co-wrote it, um, stars in it as black dynamite, also is like uh has like five black belts too. Yeah. And so like all of the choreographed, like the choreography is just great. It's it's really entertaining yeah. without being terrible. Um and when it's terrible, it's terrible on purpose. Like mm. when he's got like nunchucks and he's like blinking every time that he throws them somewhere, <laughs> uh, or he like loses them. It's it's kind of like this beautiful ballet of like intentional fuck ups where they're like, let's just do that and see how it goes. Um but yeah, like uh, I'm kind of curious. So without having a, a lot of knowledge, well, Ryan, do you, have you watched any black exploitation? Dixon hasn't really watched much of it. I've seen Shaft and Shaft's big score. Yeah, uh, but I haven't seen a ton beyond that. Oh, you've seen like the the finest of the fine. Like that's the yeah. peak. Yeah, actually made by black filmmakers. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yes, <laughs> yeah. There is that interesting black exploitation changeover from it being yeah straight up produced cheaply by Hollywood to be fully exploitive to being embraced by uh, black people and actually becoming black cinema that was created, written, directed by and for. Um, that it, yeah, it's an interesting transition. I've watched, yeah, like Shaft and Dolomite and a couple, you know, a couple of Ruby Ray Moore things I don't remember the titles of right now. Yeah, I watched like terrible ones like that fucking Petey Wheatstraw. Um, so, I, yeah, kind of a, a good mix. There's just a lot of times I'll just put some random thing I find on. So a lot of these weird exploitations and I, and all these other subgenres of exploitations are things that I will turn on and just be like, all right, let's see what this is. And kind of fascinating that it ever came out um, in some cases. So yeah, I do have enough like frame of reference of what exactly the feel is. Yeah. Um, I, I just like for context for listeners who aren't familiar with, Black exploitation as a genre. I mean, obviously, to watch Black Dynamite, you don't need to really know. You'll kind of get it when you watch it. But I don't want to 
scope it down to just what black dynamite is because black dynamite's like a combination of shaft and superfly and coffee um and a little bit of dolomite thrown in for for good measure there's like rhyming schemes and stuff from a character named bullhorn uh, that's pretty entertaining um but but black exploitation was kind of the genre that saved hollywood like i mentioned earlier um like on the cusp of the 60s and into the 70s like mgm was about to go bankrupt and they gambled on uh, shaft because uh, Melvin Van Peebles, who had made an independent production called Sweet Sweetback's Badass yeah. Song, uh, <laughs> that's the full title, um, his his movie came out and it depicted like a black man getting away from the police after he did a bunch of, of like shit that he wanted to do. And nobody had ever seen that before in uh, like cinema. And Hollywood was like, holy fuck, we could have something here. There could be some kind of audience we could exploit. So then they were like, let's get Shaft. Let's make like the adaptation of this private eye novel and we'll get Gordon Parks to do it. And then that did fucking gangbusters and the doors just like opened. It was like floodgates. Yeah. Like, Shaft it, is a really good movie. Yeah. Shaft is, is really great. I mean, it, it establishes like black exploitation is a, a term coined by like a member of the NAACP who was trying to criticize the genre and say that it was unrealistic, that it was setting bad you know, stereotypes for, for black people making super blacks, I think is like one of the terms that's referred to for the Mm. characters that are like really strong black men, but they don't have a whole lot of character death. They're just like bad motherfuckers who can kill dudes and get away with it and like sleep with the women that they want to and whatever else. Um, but it really opened the gate for like what, because before that you had, uh, like the most you had was like heat of the night where you're yeah. kind of getting like an investigator who still needed to be helped by like white people. And even before that, you know, it's way worse. The, the further back you go in Hollywood's history, black people's roles is just, it's just not good. In the heat of the night was a, a big like turning point in Hollywood cinema. Though. Like that was, that was very important. Yes. Um, but it was, it was very much like Sidney Poitier is a very buttoned down, like, you know, he's a respectable black guy, right? He's, he is of a certain class where, um, you know, he, he always plays characters that are civilized and have money and, and things like that. And, uh, you know, appears, uh, you know, he's acceptable in white society and like the black exploitation genre is like, no, we're going to have characters who are, you know, living in the ghetto and actually in black culture. And some of that is like naturally coming from black screenwriters and directors and others of that is, uh, you know, exaggerations made by white studio executives who are just trying to sell tickets and make weird characters. That's the exploitation part is like yeah. how graphic and shocking can you make it versus, yeah, Sidney Poitier does a lot of like assimilationist cinema, I would say, where it's yeah. like this is what a black person in a white person's world should act like. Um, but yeah, so Black Dynamite, the whole synopsis, I don't even think that we really talked about what the story is. Uh, it's about Black yeah, Dynamite, everybody. Yeah. It's it's about Black Dynamite. That's all you need to know. Uh, no, he's Black Dynamite is a bad, rad motherfucker. That's uh, apparently his his like legal name. That's his legal name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even I, since he was a child, he his was mother named calls him that. Black Dynamite. <laughs> I love that. that that's <laughs> one of the great things in this that it just every everybody yeah. says it and it's never acknowledged anything other than his name just being Black Dynamite. Nobody calls him. <laughs> nobody calls him Black or anything. Like he doesn't just go yeah. by his first name. It's Black Dynamite every time. That's right. The whole it's thing. the whole thing. It's amazing. Uh, and his brother is Jimmy. And Jimmy is murdered at the very beginning. Jimmy is played by a, a local thespian. You can tell because the, he's the actually old... he's in he's an actor in corporate. Oh, really? That's yeah. amazing. He plays like the uh, the social media guru in corporate. Oh. It's like, where the fuck have I seen that guy? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Wh- it. Yeah. That Which in of itself is a reference because 
and some of the black exploitation films they would be they would pull people from like theater yeah. and throw them into these things and that you can tell like that person doesn't fit exactly <laughs> the rest <laughs> of this movie exactly him him doing his uh trying to speak jive i guess is what they it's like they set him up against that where he's just like come on you jive turkeys what kind of rundown is this <laughs> i can never not think of semi-pro when i ever i hear the term jive turkey <laughs> he called you a cocksucker what did you call me <laughs> just called you a cocksucker nobody called anybody a jt <laughs> um, jive turkey's a little over the line man <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, so Jimmy's, Jimmy's shot basically at the beginning of the movie. He's killed by unknown men in a car, like a silhouetted dude. It's also this guy with a very unfortunate face. It's a very striking face. He um, plays the gangster in Dumb and Dumber. Uh, not that guy. The, the other guy at the very oh. beginning who walks up and just goes, he's dead. Into, like, oh, the that guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, the guy in the silhouette in the car is yes. that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so from there, basically the movie is off to a, like, a fucking breakneck pace start where there's a police chief who looks kind of like Adam West. Who's like, my God, do you know who this is? You know, who's going to, who's brother. And just like watching a montage of black dynamite shooting people. And it immediately is apparent. All right. Black dynamite has to figure out who killed his brother. He's going to have this whole journey to figure that out. Uh, the thing with black exploitation is a lot of black exploitation movies. They're hinging on the fact that there is a, a malicious, like shadowy force, mostly white of the, like a lot of the time it's just a white person somewhere mm. known as the man who uh, is actively trying to bring down the community, poison children, uh, the orphans, you know, the orphans are always involved. Not the orphans. Oh God, not the orphans. <laughs> I used to be an orphan. <laughs> Would somebody please think of the orphans. Um, and so from there, we're kind of set onto this escalating series of, discoveries and conspiracy that black dynamite and his crew have to discover. Um, there's also mentions of like the black Panthers, which is very period appropriate. Uh, a lot of the sets are very low budget <laughs> that he, he traverses through. There's a lot of Kung Fu too. And at one point it just becomes a Kung Fu movie for a little bit there, uh -huh. um, yeah. which is still fun. Like it's a great kind of like derivation into something else. Um, I mean, there are many points where this movie just becomes a different kind of movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's that's the general synopsis of it, and it honestly it, it leads all the way up to the top to, to the man in the honky house uh, <laughs> who, who is is pulling the strings, um, and all throughout that, it just like you can't really see where the jokes are coming from. They just kind of happen at times, and it's all that natural as part of the production. Like I think that at one point too, um, when I was listening to commentary on it, they talked about how they almost at the very beginning had a different tone for the movie when they were trying to set it because they were so fixated on getting scenes meticulously right hmm. that it was going to ruin the black exploitation vibe, like to the point where it would have been too flawless of a scene delivery. And oh, that, um, they just decided at one point that they were going to do, they can shoot it on film and they were going to do these like one takes. That's just what they're going to try to do. Um, but even within those one takes, they have continuity issues. They've clearly orchestrated like, uh, what's her name? Honeybee, who like is crying in one scene and yeah, then isn't crying like in comes another. And goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, just I think wild. the best, the best example of that is when he walks into the like seemingly black Panther group 
and they have that little conversation where he walks in and the guy's like clearly fucking forgetting his line and confusing him and they kind of just like keep going but black dynamite's kind of like looking around like what what is he talking about yeah Yeah, the or the guy who is sneaky guy (laughs) (laughs) he goes to one of these sneaky brothers (laughs) yeah um yeah so like there's a lot of characters in this movie too and you don't have to know all of their names. There's not a big emphasis on like who is that. But you're gonna like, remember them. You're gonna remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of amazing how many of because they have their own specific quirks. Like Jimmy is the thespian they pulled up off the street. Black dynamite is just black dynamite. It's like easy enough to remember that. Um, you cream corn. Cream That's corn. So, so good. Just yeah. Uh, Bullhorn who rhymes all the time. Yeah. Cream corn talks a good game, and then he like. They have a whole chase scene where he's in platform shoes, which is fucking impressive, just <laughs> <Yeah>. honestly. <laughs> um, but so, so who, who I want to go around and figure out like what favorite characters do y'all have? Who's your most memorable? Who are you like? I really like this this one character. Oh man, yeah, um, the guy who changes to a different actor in mid scene. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that guy's name. I don't know if he was given one, but I uh, fucking love that where Bullhorn's fighting this dude and he just like changes to a different actor and like it, like he slaps him and the guy's like, "What the fuck, man!" and clearly just like walked off set and quit the movie, so they had to bring in another guy. But for some reason, I guess they couldn't afford to shoot the whole scene again. You know, it's like and this is all very meta, like within the movie like they meant to do this and change the the actor but that that scene is fucking hilarious oh god that slap yeah Yeah, it's so great (laughs) my real answer is cream corn that guy's awesome oh yeah (laughs) love it Uh, stick with him baby he'll have you farting through silk (laughs) (laughs) so where's cream corn these days yep that's right i'm running things i'm running things cream corn that's why they call me that smooth I got more measure for your pleasure. Stick with me, baby. I'll have you farting through silk. And let a nigga mess with me. I'll jump on him. All 93 pounds of pure dynamite. Yeah, those are good. I I also like the guy when um, uh, Black Dynamite comes in. He's like, I'm putting it on notice. I'm going to take out everybody that sells drugs in this community. (laughs) I sell drugs drugs in this community oh yes chocolate he's like the pimp yeah he's like so he's so pro black dynamite he's like that's black dynamite he's like see you later black dynamite yeah he's like explaining it to everybody too they're like who are you oh that's that's black dynamite i just got one thing to lay on you cats and i'll split i'm declaring war on anybody who sells drugs in our community but black dynamite i sell drugs in the community yeah. yeah, apparently the pimping business is not going that well, so they got to sell drugs on the side. <laughs> uh, yeah, my my favorite characters, I have two. It's, um, I think it's LeMilton is the the dude's name. He's in the Black Panthers. He always reads his his set yeah. direction, his direction oh, lines. Yes. Uh, He's like, LeMilton stands startled. <laughs> Sarcastically, <laughs> I'm in charge. Um, <laughs> like, any of the shit that he does is just great. Excuse me, brothers. The Milton's turn startled. This is private. How'd you get in here? I walked in. So you one of them sneaky brothers, huh? Or maybe you an undercover pig. Or maybe you just a federal hitman. If I was, you cats would already be dead. Well, let me speak to the man in charge. Sarcastically, I'm in charge. I don't. And then uh, Officer O'Leary, 
the fucking captain that oh, recruits yeah. Black Dynamite reinstates a CIA licensed kill, uh, and apparently was with him in Vietnam. <laughs> and constantly yeah. references random maneuvers that he learned like the pie in the windowsill trick and the <laughs> yeah, birthday yeah. candle trick. Yeah. Um, just like love that shit. It's great. Uh, but yeah, like the, uh, as like these characters kind of go and, and develop with each other. Um, there's also like romance plot that develops too. Um, uh, there's tertiary characters that have their own arcs, I guess, technically not in the movie specifically, but like, like uh, if, if you've ever been to LA and you've been to Roscoe's chicken and waffles, yeah. Uh, yeah, apparently this funny. has the origin of that with Roscoe running a chili and donut shop. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds like a weird combo. I gotta say that's, that's strange. Maybe if you had like a donut without sugar on it, maybe that could work, but yeah. Um, well, I guess the, the another question I have uh, is, well, there's another movie that I wanted to talk about, actually, in relation to Black Dynamite. It's another kind of like comedy send up to black exploitation. I do not know if either of you have seen it. Ryan, I'm really hoping you have so that we can talk a little bit about yeah. it. Uh, but it was a movie that uh, I believe uh, Eddie Griffith was in it. and Oh, I know what you're talking uh, about. Chris Kattan was in it. Uh, Denise Richards yep. was in it, oh, yeah. uh, and it's called yes. Undercover Brother. I have seen yeah, Undercover Brother. It's seen been that. a long time, like yeah. <laughs> over 10 years since I've seen it. But. Same. Uh, it's been quite a while. I used to love that fucking movie. <laughs> I, watched that, I watched that movie a lot for some reason when I, was, when I was a teen. I mean, I'm sure it was probably also the Denise Richards scenes, the Dave Chappelle gags, um, and Chris Kattan just being really fucking weird all the time. <laughs> Uh, but like stacking that movie up next to black dynamite. Um, I mean, it's not something that like, I want to actively like shoot down undercover brother. It's not I, a good movie. And yeah, black dynamite yeah. is a good movie. Yeah. Yes. But like, I almost I just, specifically mentioned it earlier when I was talking about the difference between this one, just being a black exploitation movie, but like heightening up some of the pieces and something like undercover brother. Mm. <laughs> yes. Which hinges on sight gags and like a lot of things that are, haha, you know, the genre that we're spoofing. It's that self-awareness. Um, but yeah, I was, I've, I've been like always thinking about it. Every time I watch black dynamite, I think about that movie, which is kind of a curse in a way. Mm. I don't really want to remember a lot of undercover brother. I think I went back and watched it in college after I watched black dynamite and I was very disappointed yeah. <laughs> in what I saw. <laughs> um, but like, what is it that makes this? Is it that earnestness that makes this movie good? Is it like the pacing? Like, I don't know. It's just kind of a cohesive thing for me that I, I've seen it so many times. I can't tell anymore what makes it great. Yeah. Like I mean, think undercover brother is not trying to be a black exploitation movie. It's just trying to mock them and try to be like a mid 2000s comedy that is making fun of black exploitation. And black dynamite is like, no, we just like want to make a good movie and we're going to do this stuff to send up the the genre but um i think like they were trying to do different things right like black dynamite is actually trying to make a story that is interesting and gets you hooked and has kind of natural jokes within it where undercover brother is more just like kind of pointing and laughing at a, a bygone genre in a way that like it's just not as fun it's not as cleverly written right like walk hard is is doing that and making fun of a genre and not trying to be it but it's good at it, you know, they just have better written jokes and, and you know, then Undercover Brother just, just kind of fell a little flat there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. To me, Undercover Brother is an early 2000s movie. Like it's, 
it's like Austin Powers. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. It really is kind of trying to play in the same space as that, which Austin Powers does a good job of being like, hey, here's all the really questionable things about a Bond movie, um, but also uses the like sight gags, um, kind of like play on words type things that like a Farley Brothers or Airplane, you know, older movie like that uses and kind of meshes them together. Undercover Brother just kind of doesn't do either of them that great. I think that's part of the problem with it. Um, Yeah, but it's not really trying to... Yeah, it really is just trying to make fun of them because it just kind of takes the, like, jab each each spot that it can. It always picks the thing that's... it. And weirdly, it's like a black exploitation exploitation. Like, it <laughs> takes whatever thing is from it and then plays it in the most, like exploitive way possible and picks everything that you would be like is the worst of it. Um, and, and I do think that there is just, there is a certain brilliance to black dynamite that is hard to pin down why it works. And if it would work for anything else, because it really is this like earnest love for the original thing and this like careful craft to make it, but also just kind of have fun with it and i think it it knows how to take something and get it just to where it becomes funny by expanding it a little bit like the beginning where it's like do you know who's this brother's you know who this is it's black dynamite's brother and he kind of like keeps going and we keep seeing like car explosions and it's one of those things where it's like starts to it suddenly becomes funny because it kind of just went on right yeah. Well, then also because it hard cuts to Black Dynamite having sex with three women at the same time. Well, yeah. And then, well, th- three women at the same time. And then there's like four more women, women at the end of the bed, right? We <laughs> take it one more like uh, uh, step further. And it's like, that's not incongruent with a black exploitation movie. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, that's the other thing is it never ends up being like, you wouldn't necessarily see that. Like, in some of them, they're so ridiculous. I said Petey Wheatstraw, but. Like, it is so ridiculous. It's just an absolutely ridiculous movie um, and would have stupid shit like that, right? So it's like, it's not unnormal for that to be there. Yeah. I think it's also interesting because, like, yeah, Undercover Brother, I mean, uh, this is, like, the last thing I'll really say about it is that it, in its effort to kind of mock black exploitation, it makes itself very two-dimensional and it doesn't walk any particular tonal line. Like, there's no... You never get invested in the characters. You never really care about any of the drama or what's going on. Not saying that Black Dynamite fully invests you in like the arc of the characters themselves, but like the story is so engaging and every fold of the conspiracy, even when it's nonsensical babble and the characters are figuring something out, like they're sitting in the diner writing on the chalkboard, the like Topeka, Kansas code, that whole sequence is so gripping <laughs> and and then at other moments like black dynamite is so fucking uh to to quote nicole sullivan at the end of the movie he's so righteous um that you're like this guy's badass and then in another scene he'll absolutely lose his fucking shit when euphoria tries to interrupt his rhyme and and threaten to send her back to crenshaw pete and his hot ass coat too. hangers <laughs> like and it, it it's one of those things where like the that's where like the the pastiche of like black exploitation really comes in strong because in Shaft, which I've only seen half of, folks. Okay, don't don't at me on this. All right, <laughs> I tried to watch it today. I didn't have time. 
I watched Superfly earlier this week in a Dean Martin movie that was black exploitation technically. <laughs> I'm just not going to talk about that. When one. you say you watched half of Shaft, are you did you watch Shaft after drinking some Anaconda malt liquor? No. I, <laughs> is watching half of Shaft technically half watching Chubb? <laughs> I don't know that works. Uh, I think uh, scientifically, yes, that's true. <laughs> um yeah, uh, <laughs> so when I watched like Shaft, I saw these moments where Shaft's just a, a badass dude. He's always cool in every scene that he's in. The whole movie, he never breaks that characterization. But Black the half, Dynamite, in the half movie, he never yeah, breaks that Yeah, in the half movie that I've seen, he never breaks that characterization. <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> Making some big assumptions That's there, That's right, I am. <laughs> but uh, I, I could also see moments where like Black Dynamite took a moment that Shaft had and then expanded it into absurdity. Mm. Like um, there's a scene where in Shaft, if anybody out there has seen it, uh, Shaft just says to somebody else, like, you know what you need? You need to get laid. Or he says something like that. And then he just walks away laughing and you hear him laugh and it like fades, but he laughs for like a really long time. (laughs) And then in Black Dynamite, Black Dynamite kills the Mafia Don dude from Dumb and Dumber and laughs for like, five scenes he's like laughing through several different entrances it's like mr burns when he crippled that irish dude in the Simpsons. he forgets what he's laughing about and it, it just goes for so long that you're like this shit's amazing this shit's ridiculous why would he laugh and then he immediately goes back to being stone-faced like uh, needing to return to that that trope is is great um but yeah like i, I think within uh, Black Dynamite. There are moments, even if you haven't seen Black Exploitation, where you can tell. And curious if y'all, obviously, Ryan, you've seen a lot of them. You've seen Shaft and Shaft's big score. Uh, Dixon, um, could you tell moments where was it very apparent, like when certain character traits are being either deconstructed or they're being poked fun at? I mean, obviously, for characters who read their lines or characters who talk about yeah. maneuvers and nom, that's pretty easy. Or Black Dynamite's insistence that a Vietnamese boy is a, a Chinese man or whatever. Like it just <laughs> yeah, that felt Chinese. like it was making fun of something specific from a black exploitation movie. I don't know which one it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was pretty funny. I mean, Black Dynamite the character seems like it's pulling a, a hell of a lot from Shaft, right? Like I'm not sure what other black exploitation figures it may be. I know that um, I watched some of the special features on the Blu-ray that you gave me, John, and. Uh, he he talked about Jim Brown a lot, and I haven't seen a, a lot of Jim Brown. So, but he talked about how the like the romance scene, like Jim Brown would always like do the tough guy stuff really well, but then get to the romance, and he was like incapable of being tender and just couldn't pull it off. And uh, so it it seems like he's you know he's pulling from a lot of influences there. And then the um, uh, bullhorn is like very Rudy Ray Moore ish in in what they're doing there with like his clothes and his terrible kung fu and things like that and his wonderful poetry yes (laughs) uh yeah i think kind of each of the characters probably is sort of a pull from something the sort of like uh militant rebellious but also part of the like running the orphanage or whatever like um the it's sort of these archetypes, I guess, is kind of what I'm trying to go for. And, and exactly the, like, you mentioned, like, Jim Brown, and, and I understand his head canon in this movie was that he's, like, an ex-football player who uh-huh. had to retire from an injury. And then as in this is the movies that he's making, like, still trying to be 
awesome and get something, get some, you know, money from his name, some kind of cred. Um, but they are really centered around these like stereotypes of the can do anything against the system. Right. And then try to fix up their system, their community. Um, and you have the like corrupt government people and they've definitely fit that like archetype of just like, yeah, a cop that, you know, you know, is probably skimming or cheating or whatever. And they have this close connection with the people on the street that they're, they shouldn't, um, the sort of weird acceptance at times of a pimp or a drug dealer that like some of these movies have not a reverence for them, but sort of like, a they're, you know, doing what they can, I guess, uh, you know, like at least they're doing something, right? And yeah, there's a weird attitude ways. in this movie, like an acceptance of pimps, but a, a hatred of drug dealers. You know, it's like a right. Okay, we're we're cool with one of these things, but not the other. Interesting. All right. Yeah, and sometimes even I would say like the drug dealer characters and other black exploitation. Sometimes it's like okay, like I yeah. guess, especially if they're like sticking it to the man <laughs> through doing it, then it's then it's fine. Then it's okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of those, like, and I would even say, uh, oddly, oddly enough, the, like, fighting Nixon and having <laughs> Abraham Lincoln's ghost at the end, um, actually does fit with some of the later exploitation movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause I like mentioned Petey Wheatstraw, but there's some of those later of those and the, like, Kung Fu exploitation where it just was, like, completely, like, a ghost or the devil or, and they referenced real people just because and had fun with it. And so I'm like that, it would not be weird either <laughs> as, as silly as it is. Yeah. That that's, that reminds me of like the, um, so I mean, Superfly. I think I mentioned it earlier that it's, it's part of kind of black dynamites thing. Even the opening shot of his car, um, when they're talking about it and it kind of like zooms in the title, which the title credit is pretty great too. Uh, it's got like its own whole rhythm to it, but that's like the exact same shot taken from Superfly, which is uh, about a drug dealer who is looking to make the biggest score of his life and like get out of the game basically. And that's the whole premise of it. It's pretty low budget. And like a lot of the things that he does are not good um, for the community, but it's still hailed as like, an empowering movie that represents the streets in a way. Superfly and was directed by Gordon Parks Jr. Yeah. I, I was Crazy. I was looking at that. I was like, wow. A year after <laughs> his dad directed Shaft. I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, like the, those so those kind of sentiments, it also just like lines up where it's like, okay, well, this is a certain representation where like the pimps can be okay, the drug dealers not as much, no dealing smack to the kids. Um, black dynamite's going to shake the shit out of their system, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, that line was great. I also love that the orphanage just says 1969. It doesn't say anything else about like founded or <laughs> pretty recent orphanage. And it's just called orphanage. Um, but yeah, like the, those moments kind of pointing to like what the community is and even some of the characters within like the, um, drawing like more and more movies too within black exploitation history. Like the guy that they are, that they capture at uh, the facility who they give the truth serum to that lasts. It's like too good of a truth serum. Yeah. Um, that dude's <laughs> when will it stop? Yeah. <laughs> that dude's like straight out of Dolomite. That's actually one of the actors that was in Dolomite that like arrests Rudy Raymore in a scene and is like <laughs> harassing him. 
I was like, wow, they like went back and actually got other actors that were from these older black exploitation and brought them in. Um, there's just so much care kind of put into to the frames here, but yeah, it is interesting. Another kind of reason that I bring it up is because black dynamite feels like it's, it's part of the, the early, uh, ages of like black exploitation for me, even though Ryan, you're saying like later, they just kind of give up and they're like, yeah, fuck it. Put like Abraham Lincoln's ghost or who are the devil. I don't give a shit, put whatever. Um, is like merging that part of the era before it starts to transition because black exploitation has its own evolution where they go through um, even like they go for Westerns at some point. They literally like they told the story so many times about people in the streets fighting drugs and the man that it got really fucking tiring. And, you know, Hollywood, they've made fucking like 80 million Marvel movies now. And they're just finally being like, we should not do that for a little while and maybe cool it. They definitely ran this genre into the ground. And then we're like, let's make Blackula. Let's make Blackenstein. Yeah, yeah, let's Blackula. make Scream, Blackula <laughs> Scream. Uh, none of those are making money. Let's let's see what else we can do. Um, and so part of the reason why I picked this movie too is uh, there's actually another Michael Jai White movie that's coming out later this month that I'm pretty excited for called The Outlaw Johnny Black. That's a send up to those Westerns and like Buck and the Preacher and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it's like that or like boss. I can't say the rest of that title, but, uh, oh, yes. boss uh-huh. with Fred Williamson, um, like those movies or Joshua, I think is, is another one. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see, uh, because we, we were just talking about like, you know, black, black dynamite. Can it be made again? Can it ever, I know it had a cartoon series that's way different than the movie itself. Um, where they do like really wild shit that's out there because it's a cartoon. Yeah. They can do way more. Yeah. So like Michael Jackson comes down from another planet to abduct children yeah. and they fight him <laughs> and like other shit like Kermit the Frog is like a white supremacist in that show. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of fucked up shit in it that's really funny. Um, but I'm really curious to see how this kind of homage and like parody evolves. And I, I don't really know. It's like... I always worry if uh, the lightning can ever be captured again, if this is like a a one-off thing or. um, I do think like my understanding is that started as black dynamite two, which they had announced. And then I guess through somewhere during the pandemic, it kind of faded off and then popped back up now as this Western movie. Um, Hmm. So it's pretty much the creators of black dynamite. I mean, obviously uh, Michael it's Michael J. J. White. White, but uh, Scott Sanders isn't directing this one. Michael J. White is, so um, he, yeah, yeah. Um, which we'll see, you know how that how that works out. But I, I think it. I, I'm guessing there was some kind of discussion of like, all right, we've been working on this Black Dynamite too, but it's just not going to be the same thing. You know, it's not going to work to kind of keep that going. Let's just twist it and grab something else and kind of go down that path, um, and that way we get some new blood injected. It's at least the right way to go. I feel like. Yeah, rather than trying to like do what you did before bigger and better because that's hard to top for a parody. Like, yeah, God, imagine if they tried to remake a walk hard or have something you, yeah. with like a. Have you seen thing. Undercover Brother Two? Then, oh God, yeah. Wait, who's Undercover in, Brother. Who's in that? Is it Larry the Cable Guy? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> he does all the sequels. Everybody, <laughs> so, knows. yeah, two, it's three, the, uh, two. It's the guy from Third Rock from the Sun. The, oh, <laughs> the, 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 no. <laughs> French Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> oh god john lithgow <laughs> um but yeah like I, that that's one of the reasons why i kind of brought this in was like hey you know let's let's uh celebrate this i don't know what outlaw johnny black is going to be it's it's not the point of this particular episode is for me to be like everybody go see it but just like 
this movie, when it came out, it bombed hard. Uh, it had a resurgence when it got onto Netflix and people were able to stream it. But even then, it still remained pretty obscure. And it's it's a very niche, I would say, movie for, for most folks to think about. Like, you have to get into, like, film clubs and film groups and, like, you'll hear about it there. But considering that, like, anybody on the street who goes to see a Marvel movie is not going to know what a black exploitation movie might explicitly be probably won't know what black dynamite is yeah i was like all right this seems like the time uh the, the right time to bring it in and talk about it um were there any topics that y'all wanted to talk about with regards to this uh anything in uh, that, that kind of came to mind when you were watching it a second time or you know a repeat watch um we need to talk about the animated sex scene yes that's something <laughs> that i always forget about uh <laughs> Which is weird because I did the astrologer. I'm really into astrology. You would uh, think that I would I would register. <laughs> yeah, I I saw the director Scott Sanders was talking about how um, he's like, well, I know this actress isn't going to take her shirt off. So like, what are we going to do here? Because like this is a black exploitation movie, and like you got to show stuff. And so he said that this was just like a thing that was around in the 70s where people would have these astrological calendars where every month was just a different sex position and so <laughs> he's like what if we just animate that and like it it works pretty well in, in the yeah. movie it, it looks you know it's animated really well honestly yeah like because i got to in the half of shaft that i've seen <laughs> i got to a sex scene where they literally John, john's just... at half shaft right now. <laughs> <laughs> um they they like did a whole scene where you know they don't really show the sex happening they show the ramp up to it and then they show like hands on a body and i can't really tell what's happening and they put like <laughs> you know like a bokeh color kind of filter over it and they make it seem really classy and i was like oh this is like the same kind of thing they just like filter <laughs> it out you don't have to show any of this the the any of the the nudity that actors won't want to do or whatever so um but there are some some people in this that uh they have oh, yes. no shame. Mm-hmm. No shame at all. <laughs> More power to them. Yes. Good for them. Um, yeah. Uh, Ryan, did you have anything that you wanted to um, well, yeah, One thing I just want to call out, I, I also really enjoy the flubs sometimes that are like on purpose and some that just happen and they just left it in. But like the moment where the boom mic, where Black Dynamite like stands up quickly and the yes. boom mic is like in. <laughs> um, and they go to the trouble of like making the boom mic red which is like unrealistic, yeah. but stands out. Like I was like, okay, so they know, you know, they know so much what they're doing that they're like, Hey, we need to make it really obvious that we purposely put the boom mic in. And then he looks at it like at the very last, <laughs> like as the scene is ending and it goes a little too long. Um, I also like the, uh, the guy that's like trying to run away and he gets in his car and he gets the door fucking stuck in the grass and he's oh, trying yeah. to pull off. <laughs> and then it like cuts back and he's pulled away. He's like perfectly fine. There's similar when he comes out of the donut chili place um they all jump out of the car yeah they all jump out of the car and the car keeps rolling Uh, i didn't put it in park (laughs) it's like jump back in and hit it that wasn't Um, intentional that was like literally an accident they absolutely the dude like signs too that like he did it finally like the moment he puts Uh, it in park he like goes back and points that it's like good now (laughs) 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 that's amazing yeah i think those are really great what i was gonna say the other the topic i did kind of have is Talking about this from the vantage of someone who has no no knowledge of black exploitation, and even a little bit step further, making a purposely bad movie, um, right? Because like breaking the kind of conventions of what a movie is, um, 
where does it work and where does it not work? And I, and I wonder for someone who has absolutely no frame of reference coming into this, like, when is it that they get like, oh, this is supposed to be funny and not just like, wow, this is dumb. Like, I don't understand. It's like, and, and that's yeah. a tricky balance. I think the story is enough to hook people in and like just the, the style and the vibe is so good that I think like, you know, yeah, people might be like, what the fuck is going on with this? But there's enough there to keep you engaged and to enjoy it, even if you don't know what they're trying to do or realize that it's on purpose. I think that at some point, yeah, Ryan, you were talking about how, like, if Darla had watched it, she probably would have laughed for the first 15 minutes and then been like, yeah, I get it. And I've seen a handful of reviews that, like, equate to kind of the same thing of, like, I get it. The joke isn't really that funny anymore. It's on the nose. I understand. But I feel like that's from somebody who's expecting a different kind of theatrical experience with their movie. They clearly have never seen black exploitation and don't know how get it they do. Uh, I don't know how to phrase that better. <laughs> oh, <okay>. uh, <laughs> my brain All broke right, there Yoda. for a second. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it is, it is one of those things where like you either get it or you don't on your watch. And I feel like some people like my dad probably hasn't seen I don't want to wager that my dad hasn't seen a lot of black exploitation. He lived through the seventies. Surely he's seen something there. Like I know he's seen shaft, but it's just one of those things where like he maybe forgot about the genre. And if you watched it again, he'd be like, well, this part's ludicrous. You mean the part where like, do you think that they wouldn't get it by the time they zoom in on a man's tiny dick like five <laughs> times well, before they shoot him? Or do you mean, right. Like, I think there's a point do where you want to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go on? <laughs> Probably from there on, like once they have the reveal of like what Anaconda is, um, <laughs> yes. the movie does take itself off the rails. Because I would say like that, when he, he gets in the fight later and he fucking, the thing hits the guy, or he even says the thing where he pull, he pokes the guy's eyes out and he like throws the eyes and both times he has one of those quips of like, yeah. you know, you watch this or whatever. Yeah. Him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then he's, yeah, he, he gets hit by the thing and he's like, I threw that shit before I walked in the door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the scene. And, uh, and, and then like the fight with Nixit at the end, like that, the movie has like bought enough time mm-hmm. of like kind of just being funny and giving you a feel for what it is to then like open up at the end and just fully give in, right? To like what it is. I think at the beginning, I'm like, I probably feel like if you're watching and you're like, wow, this is kind of bad, probably the point where, they have him, like his mom's on the deathbed calling him Black Dynamite, and he's flashing back <laughs> yes. about his brother calling him Black Dynamite, and there's all the stuff, too, on the nose about make sure he doesn't get into drugs. You said you were going to get him off drugs, and it's, like, so on the nose, and probably yeah. the then, like, the nunchucks next to the dry cleaning. <laughs> you have to be like, okay, that's not, they just, like, think that that is right in the script, they know that that's dumb. Like, they, yeah. they, they are purposely doing it, and, and you can kind of go from there, I guess. I mean, like, him doing the training, where they have, like, moments where he'll just do a kung fu scene or whatever, him training in his dojo, where that one dude is, like, looking around scared in one direction, <laughs> yeah. and then he runs to the other side, and Black Dynamite's there. And, like, that's, like, <laughs> yeah. that, that, like, it's way too much. Like, I feel like somebody would intuitively know at that point, like, oh, this movie's just fucking around with with these kinds of tropes. But yeah, maybe like from the get go, like Jimmy talking in a very stilted jive speak manner wouldn't really trigger anybody. They'd be like, this guy's a really bad actor, which is hilarious. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the same, like the, 
the officer, like, or whatever he is, police chief, detective, like, listing off all the, like, he's gonna come fucking, he's gonna put yeah. blood in the streets, he's gonna take down everything, you, you don't know what you're into. Like, it's just sort of like, okay, we got it, like, the script just doesn't know how to stop. Um, yeah. And it, I think of, we talked about Malignant. <laughs> wow, We've brought up Malignant a up. few times. <laughs> <laughs> and... I'm still uncertain of what it was going for, but I feel like the open of Malignant is so stupid. So oh, yeah. stupid. And it so perfectly nails the stupidity of that type of movie because it's like so paper thin. The way that they talk to each other is so weirdly stilted. It does the thing I hate where they like explain all the things that are going in their life on in their life to each other. Where it's like, hey, this is our new house. By the way, how is your divorce going? And I know you're having a hard time at school these days, right? Like they just tell you literally all of it. Like uh, you're I'm Jimmy like, and I'm 18 year old black dynamite. And you're high on drugs <laughs> yet <laughs> yes, again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think Malignant didn't do that. Like it didn't take it to that level to make it obvious that yeah. then I'm like stuck with like, is it's it bad? Not intentional, as far as we can tell. It might yeah. be earnest. <laughs> Either it didn't know how to like hit that part to tell the audience like, hey, hey, like pay attention. This is stupid. Like we know like <laughs> that this is what makes these movies bad and that's why we're doing it. They got to put captions uh, on the bottom, like subtitles that say, hey, this is dumb. Pay attention. Like we're, we're making fun of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will say weirdly in the patterns that we keep hitting upon this does start with a fake ad <laughs> yes, <laughs> it <does. laughs> following in the tropic thunder vein fantastic yeah a, a very uh billy d williams cult 45 ad i feel like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was kind of like uh this made me think well i've also been watching a lot of paul verhoeven movies lately and paul nice. verhoeven has like this good sense of how to skewer and satirize other movies. You're talking about Starship Troopers with the ads. Starship Troopers with the ads, RoboCop <laughs> with the ads. Mm-hmm. Like all of those seem to have I this keen sense of making an ad that is is just on the line of I could believe that this is absolutely an yeah. ad that somebody like a board game for the nuclear holocaust and RoboCop, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> They're like, You were smuggling arms across the Iranian border. I'm gonna nuke you, and it's like battleship. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you <nuked> my battleship. <laughs> uh, Weirdly though, I feel like Paul Verhoeven movies get missed. They like, do. Starship Troopers yeah. especially. I, mm-hmm. I always I hear people where I'm like, oh boy, <laughs> it's like yeah. you you don't see at the end when uh, he just shows up dressed as a Nazi. <laughs> <pretty much>. <laughs> <laughs> He's afraid. <laughs> He's afraid. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like that's where this this kind of like it doesn't do that because there are these scenes where you know I talked about how Black Dynamite loses his cool about Euphoria cutting off his lines and whatever. That's like an active lampoon of the core character like that's like if john shaft saw a spider and screamed like a like a little little boy or something i was like ah! and uh and he ran away like that would be funny in shaft but it would undercut how fucking cool shaft is mm. and this knows to do that but with like a paul verhoeven film there's no real room to do that like paul verhoeven wants the movie to be taken seriously so that he can further skewer in a very tongue-in-cheek way what he wants to skewer whereas this like you know, they're having the romantic scene and walking along and 
they see little girls that are doing skip rope and, <laughs> and uh, they're like the, the black dynamite's love interest is like, well, it's nice to meet you. I'm Gloria. And this is black dynamite. And they're like, my, my mom said that my daddy's my name is black dynamite. dynamite. The other girl's like, my mom said that's my daddy's name too. And he's like, oh, hush up little girls. A lot of cats have that name. <laughs> and, like, and then they just cut to another scene. <laughs> and they like, they like even like wind down the score for that too. They like do a turntable power down on it. Um, yeah. And just those moments, like it, it really separates out. I feel like yeah, it helps the audience know. Whereas with like Verhoeven, the audience never really knows unless they're keen to pick up on, Oh, that's what this is going against. Like, wow. Robocop has a lot of death. Like it's not just like a pro cop thing. There's an arms race. And then it turns out the cops are actually funded by corporations who are funding the crime too. that kind of stuff. Like when you piece it together after but with black dynamite, you're like, Nope there's a certain point where you can't help, but no, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Yep. What is black dynamite's job? Like <laughs> he has, he has an office <laughs> that he goes to at the beginning of the movie. And then he's just like on this rampage to find his brother's murderer. And every, but everybody knows who he is in town. <laughs> like, yes. is he a PI like shaft? If he is, he's not, telling anybody that he's a detective or anything like he's ex-cia he like at one point (laughs) had a license to kill but what does he do for money at this point in his life he didn't get rich off the cia what's he doing i don't know but i know that he was he told those honkies (laughs) from the cia that he was the best cia agent they ever had yeah uh, he'd never work for the cia again mm -hmm. um i have to assume that he is yeah i have to assume it's a private inspector like a private investigator of some kind he's a dick man i mean it takes a (laughs) dick to take down a dick right like tricky dick so i guess it's kind of where i go but he also seems to be like you know like maybe he's his own nonprofit organization for (laughs) for for prostitutes (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um you know he he helped all those prostitutes while they were down and out and didn't have no pimp and he taught them their you know their kung fu, yeah, uh, which we get to see on full display in the middle of a dining a dining experience. <laughs> they, they just wave their arms back and forth. That's kung fu now. <laughs> yeah, he has some kind of dojo, something I guess. Yeah, too, going he on. seems to have a lot of money. He has all these clothes, all, you know, all all these these you know this big office, this fancy dojo. He's a long way from Nam. There must be an eight track player in every room in this house. Yeah, maybe maybe he like stole some some gold in Vietnam or something. Or, you know. Oh man, yeah, yeah that'd be great. But, but weirdly, he's already expected because they did his dry cleaning, so he definitely hangs around the area all the time. Yeah, that appears to be well, his right? office, yeah. right? Like he has his a office? big desk there that he you know sits authoritatively behind this chair. He he. Well, well, also also a line of revenue is. He did say that he had Pimp and Jake in his trunk and that <laughs> yeah, he didn't have his he money. He collect that money. Yeah. Himself. Yeah. What, what is he collecting? I, I don't know if he's well, collecting he's, like. He, he gives it to, to what, what's her name? So I guess he's honeybee. collecting money. Yeah. He is collecting honeybees money for her. Is he revolutionizing yeah. the prostitute pimp relationship? Is he pimping out <laughs> pimps? Is yeah. he like the head pimp? Is that what's going <laughs> on here? I feel like he has the, the prostitutes running the pimps to get the money somehow. And uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's man. why pimping's not profitable anymore. <laughs> yeah, after he took out Nipsey, man. Like, who fucking knows? Anyway, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> that whole scene is great too, which, you know, we don't have to talk about every scene, but him going to a house and being like, I'm looking for Nipsey. And that oh, woman yeah. being like, there's no Nipsey here. And he just kicks the fucking door right this in. This old woman just like kicks her halfway across the room, starts slapping her in the face until Nipsey shows up. <laughs> Busts Nipsey through a wall into a man's living room while he's eating a TV dinner. <laughs> just, just full collateral damage everywhere. And mm. everybody loves Black Dynamite still. It's great. Yep. I love that that guy... It's it's in front of the TV. He doesn't get up or anything. No, he's <laughs> he just kind of like, surprised. Like what? Yeah, he's just like whoa, and <laughs> it just goes back. Oh my god, so good. Um, well, yeah, that that sounds like yeah, that's an interesting question, Ryan, of whether or not and Dixon. Yeah, too. What does Black Dynamite do? I want to know from anybody out there who, who has ideas. Let us know what you think Black Dynamite does as his profession. Piece it together for us. I'm sure Ryan could throw together a theory if he scrutinized it hard enough. Yeah, but, I gotta uh, dig through. I imagine I it's some combination it. of legal and illegal activities, but I don't know what that it's ratio pretty, pretty is. pretty broad yeah. net that you just cast. <laughs> it <laughs> could be legal or illegal. I like. I could see him being a private investigator who also is like hustling on the side and like like threatening pimps and just hitting them up for money because he feels like it. You know, I don't know. It's yeah, just... you know, I really want to know how much money captain kangaroo pimp pulls <laughs> i really <laughs> don't know pimp. which is a pretty fucking deep cut for this movie to make yes but, uh, that guy fucking is captain kangaroo that was like perfect <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah so one other thing i that we have to talk about i think is the actual like conspiracy going on behind the scenes of of this movie yes. and um uh, you know, I, basically, you know, there's this anaconda malt liquor and, you know, spoilers where we always spoil the movie in the in the main discussion here. But, uh, you know, the anaconda malt liquor is has some sort of drug in it that is uh, that turns black men's dicks small. I don't know if it turns all dicks small or if it's just marketed specifically to black people and there's just going to be some collateral damage. But um, <laughs> it's just like, and it, it, you know, it turns out Black Dynamite figures this out. And, it, you know, it's like kind of unreal. Like it goes from this thing, like who murdered my brother? And then he kind of like doesn't care about that anymore. And then goes to figuring out this <laughs> yeah, massive starts to conspiracy. starts clean up smack. And then he gets, yeah. Yeah. And the, the conspiracy goes all the, way, all the way up to Richard Nixon, who is running this, this plot to distribute uh, Anaconda malt liquor to all the ghettos and to make black dicks small. And... You know, it's like a black exploitation. I think it's interesting to talk about that in the context of black exploitation movies. A lot of them are about conspiracies that, you know, the white men are, you know, doing to the black community. And, you know, it's like you can look back on that and be like, oh, that's kind of funny or stupid. But it's like also there was like, you know, COINTELPRO and, and you know, like the FBI terrorizing black civil rights leaders and, um you know, like the the crack ep- epidemic in the the '80s, and you know, potentially the CIA being involved with with that, and like there's there's a lot of things in our history that are really fucked up. That uh, you know, the CIA and the you know the the government were enacting against black communities, and you see that play out in these movies at the time. And a lot of times, we didn't even have hard evidence for these things when these movies were coming out. But like you could tell that the people in these communities understood that there was something going on there and and they're trying to figure out a way to portray that in in their art and i think that that's really fascinating um and and on the the flip side of that i have seen people theorize that you know a lot of black exploitation movies were made by big hollywood studios and white directors and people have theorized that that hollywood was using these films as a way to redirect black anger and to basically instead of 
people, you know, out protesting and trying to enact change, they go and get their frustrations out at the movies and see, oh, great, like a black hero going and like, you know, sticking it to the man and, and beating Whitey and saving the day and then don't have that, you know, they don't need to take out their frustrations in real life as much. And um, I think that's, it's interesting to just kind of different, you know, ways to look at that and how that kind of played out in, in black cinema in the seventies. Yeah. That's kind of the unfortunate part of like black exploitation is, and that's what exploitation really is, is like, you know, you hit a vein, how do you make the formula? How do you make it work? And Hollywood figured out, you know, if we just do these things and have these characters, audiences will show up and we'll make bank. And that's what we want. And they've done it again and again for several decades for different movies and different genres, uh, types. Um, but yeah, like obviously I'm one of those people I think that you're talking about that's like theorized or talked about the theory of that um, that inaction that's caused by catharsis. Um, yeah, and this I, was, you know, in the 70, early 70s when these movies started hitting the theaters like crazy. And, it, you know, this is in the wake of the assassination of MLK and Fred Hampton. and Malcolm and, X. And, yeah, X was a little earlier, oh, yeah. but yeah, yeah, 64. But still, like there's a lot of, you know, protests, a lot of anger. And, um, you know, a lot of change that's occurring at the time. And then, you know, in the 70s, you have, um, you know, kind of those tensions start to relax. And is that a correlation or a causation or a little of both? Who knows? But yeah. And you get like that. I've drawn like the knowledge I over, you know, the the course of the pandemic, of course, there was um, the George Floyd protests. And from that, like there were courses that spun up at, uh, at the University of Texas at Austin that were offered for free for anybody who wanted to join to learn about, you know, black history and politics and like really get that kind of perspective for yourself. And I remember one of the things the professor talked about was, yeah, what like cinema could do to placate black audiences, but also you know, typically the way that things were thought about, if there was like a uh, kind of a Democrat in office, um, usually that would kind of lull the sleeping giant in terms of activism. Like you'd get less movement because mm. people thought that progress was being made. And I know that. Uh, I mean, I think you the, see that happening right now. I think yeah. it's, it's very odd going from like the unrest of 2020 to the lackadaisical attitude of 2021 and, and beyond. Yeah. And so you have like there's kind of a spike of you know when the black exploitation cinema started to really boom you would see that kind of catharsis like black communities felt seen there was not to say that all black communities felt seen but just like majority of theater goers who were black were like hey these movies are being made these movies are being made like it's it's completely different than what black people had in Hollywood before this time like progress this is progress mm -hmm. and that was what it was looked at holistically and to and, some degree it was. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because it, it paved the way. And I watched a few interviews the other day um, with, with some of the cast of like other black exploitation films. And a lot of the things they, they brought up was like, we get arguments from the NAACP that judge us for representing these characters who they say are despicable. And so Superfly was a movie where they were like, you're setting negative stereotypes. You're like being, uh, you know, a bad representation for the community. Um but they would get to these points where they were like, well, you know, we need those one dimensional characters because before that, the characters we had had zero dimensions. They were like even worse caricatures. Like maids. Yeah, and, they were yeah. maids and, and mammies and so on. And it was like, this gives us at least agency. And then, you know, later you get directors like Spike Lee who come through and make they they draw on elements from black exploitation to really round out their characters, round out their arcs and their stories. And like it 
takes a full form that has representation and has a voice and it's like biting commentary beyond just, uh, you know, power trips, fantasies and like representation for the sake of representation on, on screen. So yeah, really fascinating. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And I, yeah, I kind of think that there's a certain amount of, and on a negative side to that, I, I agree of this, like getting roles, right. Where, to be the main character, to get a role, even in this negative thing, it is a step, um, which is something that's still a struggle now that, you know, hearing people diminish like, well, you know, this character is supposed to be that or what, or why did you change this or whatever, right? That you hear, but it's like, well, we need to, you know, need to get roles, need to get people out there, need to get seen. And um, that, that, that at least was a step. But I do think at the same time, it was used at times to be like, hey, you got your movies. Right. Yeah, like, don't, you know, you have representation. It's over here in this corner. And that happens a lot where it's sort of like, well, we did it for you over there. Yep. So you don't need to be in the mainstream things because you've got your thing over there and kind of diminish it that way. And I do think that that cinema is used that way sometimes. Um, I think the other thing is the sort of acknowledging it, but not fixing it that can sometimes sort of placate the mass to be like, yeah, we know like just outright, like we know it's a problem. The system is bad. And then we don't really do anything about it, but just acknowledging it gives at least people some feeling of like, okay, we all know, right. We're all now in the know of it. I see these movies that, that acknowledge it and show the negative sides, especially if you're like going further back, it's like to the Hayes code, right. Of like just pretending <laughs> and actually actively preventing the movies from showing anything that puts yeah, negative light on stuff to have this where it's like openly like, nah, the whole point is to put the negative light on all this stuff. Um, but then not to do anything right to just be like, well, you know, we showed it, we said it. Um, and well, in some ways you have that. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have that kind of like where you can say, Oh, but these other things are worse or yeah, but the system is just going to be broken. What are you going to do about it? Right. You sort of like first you acknowledge it and then you sort of gaslight about all of it too that I do think was some of what we were seeing into the 80s and then I think by the 90s we we're kind of like we solved it like kind of feeling that existed in the 90s that was unrealistic um to just be we like have yeah, we have... Washington now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah yeah and, and that was like yeah, we have, you know we have Wesley Snipes too and we have whoever else we, we want to like hold up on this pedestal there's always like, Arsenio Hall we didn't yeah, talk about Arsenio Hall we didn't talk about him at all <laughs> tasty freeze <laughs> <laughs> yeah Ryan I know you shared like kind of tangentially related to that in representation you shared like a an article from uh, I think about Lily Gladstone who's in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon which is upcoming yeah. the Martin Scorsese film hell yeah and how uh, she had said that Yellowstone is like this delusional representation and romanticization romanticization is that what I'm fucking romanticization with? romanticization <laughs> um I'll get it one of these days um uh, of like what I guess the relationship between I don't even fucking know how like Native American folks like actually coexisted along with or yeah came into conflict with like white property and it, and yeah I shit. think uh I was like two or three episodes into Yellowstone and I was like, yeah, fuck this noise. Like, <laughs> this is, this yeah. is not right. Um, I know nothing about it, Yellowstone except for that. Every person I've ever met over the age of 70 has gushed about it and told me it's the most amazing it. thing. Yeah. 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 It's like when you meet somebody and they gush about a world war two documentary or a, <laughs> some kind of dramatization, yeah. you're like, 
I'm not going to watch that. I have no interest in seeing that. <laughs> and that's an interesting to bring up there because for some populations, in particular native populations, you can have a role that's a, a native person in the role uh, or the character is and then like hire somebody else and just be like, just do that. <laughs> and even today that's still somewhat okay. Like that happens in Yelts. It's not okay, but I mean, people just do it. And for whatever reason, it's just not as noticed or upset, you know? And I think of the like crying, you know, Indian in the highway ads, like the trash <laughs> oh, is yeah. going and he's crying or wow. whatever. And talk that, about exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Holy that, shit. And that I'm, you know, even to be like, but that wasn't a native actor and that was an opportunity, you know, uh, <laughs> right? Like, uh. some, you know, it could have been at least someone could have gotten something that that they otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I remember I saw that same article you posted um, to uh, I saw it posted on social media and I was like, I got to read the comments. I know exactly what these comments mm-hmm. are going to say. Mm-hmm. Uh. And like the top comment was like, but she still took roles for these other movies where she played like a stereotypical native person. And it's that exact same shit of like, you got your roles, you know, like, what do you fucking want? Like, I need to work as an actor. I need these things. And if Hollywood won't recognize me in this agency and that's why. And honestly, she does not get very many roles and she's really good. Yes. Um, Like she hasn't been in a ton of things, but she's in, uh, I talked about Kelly Reichert a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago and showing up. She's in Certain Women and she's fucking incredible in that movie and got a bunch of like critics awards but didn't really get any attention from the industry and then kind of fell off the map and I hadn't really heard much about her since then until all of a sudden she was cast in Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, and she's been in Reservation Dogs and she's fucking great. Oh, I didn't that. know that. Okay, she's nice. She's so yep. good in that. Like, it's just fantastic. But and it, like the thing with Yellowstone, I'm like going to go on a diatribe. Do it. The, the, <laughs> no, the, the thing with Yellowstone is like, that's a core part of the story and to not have anyone on the set do any fucking research is like appalling. And I say that in a world where I'm, I know for a fact the CSI people have no fucking clue and don't give a shit about how that agency works or mm-hmm. how any of the physics or chemistry behind it works. Um, and it's just like not important to them. And I'm just like, <laughs> how can you not have one person out there that's like, yeah, it's not what a computer does. <laughs> like it's just Enhance. one person who yeah. just checks in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and lets you know. You can't both um, be on the keyboard hacking back. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that only works sometimes. But yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I feel like Yellowstone in that way, is it, it can be laughable if you're educated, but it also is just frustrating moreover because it would be laughable if everybody else knew that it was bullshit. But there's so many people that are like, you know, like you said, Dixon, get people walking up to you being like, you got to watch it. Sorry, let me do mm-hmm. the old boys. You got to watch it. It's great. <laughs> and, and they're like the Yellowstone. It's really telling the tale of American history. Um, and you're yeah. like, that's fucking bullshit. This movie, this fucking show sucks and it's not accurate. Um, <laughs> Uh, how did we end up here exactly? We ended up talking, we were about, talking representation. about conspiracy <laughs> in Black Dynamite, which like all, all that to say, that plot is fucking hilarious, right? Like <laughs> yes. it's, uh, you know, it opens up an opportunity to discuss, uh, you know, the history of black exploitation and conspiracy theories and the horrible things that America has done to black communities over the years. But 
Yes. It's also very funny that yes. they are sending malt liquor into the ghetto in order to make black men's dicks small. Uh, and that seems like something Richard Nixon would be very concerned about. Not only so. are they sending it into those communities, they're shipping it from Kung Fu Island. You didn't yes. even mention Kung Fu yes. Island. <laughs> yeah, that, that whole you know and side plot. Fiendish Dr. Wu, who, <laughs> whose expertise in trans bio, biological transmogrification is only surpassed by his lust for Kung Fu treachery. You've seen this movie too many times, Sean. <laughs> remember that off the top of your head <laughs> he does not great. have notes in front of him right now i do not <laughs> uh well I, uh, I feel like we've talked it out yeah I, I just wanted to say like that, the plot it. is great and the ending fight scene with him and tricky dick is hilarious <laughs> And yeah. I, I love the very end of the movie after like Richard Nixon's wife has tried to kill him and he like punches her <laughs> and she falls back into the wall and then she's like kind of dazed and he like walks back over to her after he's beaten Nixon. and He's like, I want to apologize for that. <laughs> she's like, but I tried to kill you. And he's like, but I still feel bad about what I did. First lady, I'm sorry I pimp slapped you into that china cabinet. <laughs> it's, like, it's like very funny and, and very like you know 2000s of him to be like i i punched a woman who tried to kill me but i still punched a woman so i need to like recognize this and uh i thought that whole exchange was hilarious and then you know gloria shows up out of nowhere and like they yeah. do the final pose of the movie which is like the poster of him standing pointing his gun at nothing in the oval office <laughs> yes. and gloria wrapped around one leg and then richard nixon's wife like slowly scooting over to like grab onto his other leg to get the poster <laughs> yeah. shot it's just it's it's hilarious oh it's, my god yeah just fantastic way to close it out uh, really gives you the vibes the, the the good chills of like oh that was a good movie uh, <laughs> as it goes um but yeah uh well uh it sounds like we're pretty much done talking about this movie and we had a lot of good side conversations. I think that even when we went on tangents, they were like really fucking rad. I don't know. And just had a good time. <laughs> we brought him back. We made it make sense. Yes. To come back to the movie. Thank so. you for wrapping that up in a nice new package <laughs> at the end there, Dixon. I forgot where we were. <laughs> uh, well, the only thing we're in your do garage is John. to, Oh yeah, that's right. That's where this is. <laughs> um, the only thing to do is really just to bring this home with a, uh, would you recommend it? So, uh, Ryan, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I would recommend this. I agree. I think even if you haven't seen Black Exploitation, you probably are at least vaguely familiar with it. I think everyone probably has a sense of those types of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think it sets up enough kind of funny stuff at the beginning to kind of pull you in. Um, and the fact that I'm like, yeah, the, the, the key piece to keep it together is that there's a storyline of some kind whether you necessarily care about it or not it's not important but it keeps the you know it keeps the flow it keeps everything going um and yeah no i think it's just i think it's perfect uh dixon would you recommend this yes i would um my only critique of the movie as seen you mentioned briefly earlier john where they're doing like word association that doesn't make any sense until they finally (laughs) discover that uh, anaconda malt liquor makes your dick small and it's like i i feel like i've seen that scene so many times that i just have like roll my eyes every time i see it where they're like you know anaconda what's that a snake what snake smelled backwards oh that what's what's the greek god of blah 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 and they just you know keep going on until they get to whatever answer sounds good to them um that scene, that kind of scene always annoys me. So that like two minutes, I did not enjoy. The rest of the movie was great and would definitely recommend. 
people check it out. So um, it's good. Uh, you should watch it. Also, uh, John, I'm going to highly recommend the second half of Shaft. You oh, watch yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Go from six to midnight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you already went from six to midnight, I think. But, uh, or no, you went. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. I went from six to nine. Okay. Six to nine. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> That's right. There we go, everybody. Uh, yeah. And I, I would also recommend this, this film. Um, I've seen it obviously too many times. I can quote so much of it so well. Uh, I'm honestly not surprised that Dixon didn't like the parts where, uh, they, they piece things together in that, that diner, but, um, you didn't even like the old lady interrupting them to tell them the answers. (laughs) It was clearly irritating them. That was kind of funny. (laughs) But yeah, uh, Those parts are so absurd. The rest of the movie, it really is this like charged time capsule where if you're going to, if you were ever curious about what black exploitation is or you never knew about it, I feel like Black Dynamite is a good entry point for you to start familiarizing yourself with it. And really, it can only get better as you like explore more of that genre if you end up going into it. But if you don't, you still have a fucking great time with this movie. Yep. So I would recommend it highly. Um, and with that, I think that we will close this out, everybody. Uh, so I have been your host, John Garcia. Uh, I have no rhyme to close out this time. Uh, with me, as always, is Ryan King. Scram! I said scram! Split your turkeys! Dowsy awesome. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Dixon, you can bet your sweet ass and half a titty that you'll like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.